Welcome to Untangling Christianity. On this show, John and Greg attempt to diffuse destructive ideologies, unsnarl confused ideas, consider love and truth in Christianity. After last week's conversation, Greg and I were talking at length, and and I can't quite remember what sparked the topic, and I didn't go back to listen to the last episode yet, but we got onto this track of both of our frustration with ending up in situations or discussing topics where we felt that there's only like one politically correct outcome or one politically held politically correctly held um belief and greg you had a we were just talking a little bit ago before we started recording you had a really funny example i was wondering if you could share it and and maybe that will kind of lead us in the direction we want to go today yeah you mean the one about the moon yeah yeah (laughs) okay so this was a number of years ago i mean not that long ago it was like i don't know 10 years ago 2008 seven I uh, was living in Vancouver at the time and uh, had was acquainted through my spouse with a number of people, many, many of whom seem to have this sort of, uh, I guess I'd call it this sort of pagan belief set. Um, the situation is I was at a party and it was a nice party and I liked the people there and a conversation began to develop in one corner of the room where I happened to be. And one of the people, a couple of the people, in fact, began discussing how their children were born at specific, when they were, children were born, the moon was in specific orientations. It was either full or partially full or what have you. And they began to, um, not even to kind of, offer this in a sort of tentative way, but to just state as though everybody knew it and understood it and accepted it already, that whatever state of the moon they were born in or was present when they were born, that that was a decisive factor in the development of the personalities that they now displayed. So in other words, the moon cycle determined basically their personality. And I remember being in the room listening to this and, and on the one hand, I'm shaking my head, um, hopefully not <laughs> not, a, not literally, but because um, that wouldn't have gone over too well. But I'm just thinking to myself, I have no idea. Like you could believe these things, I think. But, but I mean, the sense I have is that personality development and the understanding I have is that personality development is a pretty complex thing. And so um, to, to chalk it up to the state that the moon is in, I'm, I'm sure you could come across people, who knows, in different areas of life, the different ages, you know, whatever. They might have, the moon might have been in the same particular orientation. They might have been born on the same day, in the same year. And they have very different personalities. And it just seemed, on the one hand, I'll just be honest, like utter hogwash, and on the other hand, I just thought, how could I even put the question, how do you know that? What makes you think that? And even, you know, if I was to push it further, what would cause you, what would be sufficient to cause you to change your mind that the moon is the kind of 
principal reason your child has the personality they have, she has. And I, I couldn't come up with anything. I, at that point, I didn't have the, uh, you know, dialogue savvy to be able to put this out there in a room full of people who clearly accepted this idea as truth. Um, and I think the counterpoint to this whole piece is that, you know, in this particular instance, I, I even as a, as a Christian in the room at that point, I wasn't trying to, to figure out a way that I could say, well, I think God creates personality because I don't, I don't, I don't actually think that that's the case, right? I wouldn't say that. Wait, why I not? Think, so many people would say, uh, isn't there, well, isn't there a verse about being fearfully and wonderfully made and, you know, God creates us and... Well, yeah, I mean, we should probably, I should probably have my little database here and look those up as we talk. But they probably, yeah, I think there is a verse about that. But I, I don't think that that is implying that God is somehow responsible for personality development outside of any other sort of um, impacts that might play out in a person's life, you know. Was it a traumatic birth? What was the the what was the parents' stress level like during birth? Um, what are the parents' personalities like? You know, what are the uh, the grandparents' personalities like? So, what are they inherent genetically? So, I guess I'm I would just say that if we take something that is, for example, science would tell us uh, is is pretty complicated. And then we, we, we take this really complicated matter and we take the, this really big piece of tape and we just kind of stick it on it and it says, God did this. I don't think we're further ahead. In fact, I think we're much further behind by doing that because I don't think that um, that actually helps us in any way understand who God is better. It doesn't help us understand who we are better, and it doesn't help us understand how the two relate to each other better. I, I think like that. Go ahead. Well, well, I think those those three together are what what the Bible is principally about. It's about other things too, but that's the the you know if if you compare the Bible, if you want to use the on the analogy of a river, the main flow and body of the river is going in those three directions and interweaving those three things. That's what I see. So this is an interesting tie in is. So last weekend I was at a, uh, how to explain it? I'm doing some coaching training and I was at a very right. intensive uh, workshop that lasted uh, almost three days. And a lot of the workshop was very hands-on. There was mm -hmm. very little, you know, take notes in your notebook or, you know, there was no PowerPoint. It was like sitting in a semicircle with 20 some odd people and just, practicing, role-playing, like, back and forth. And, cool. And, and there was a really interesting dynamic that I've seen in other settings like this where there was a certain level of uh, vulnerability and intimacy between the participants and just kind of this overall feeling of... Uh, I don't know. It, 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 in my more cynical moments, I, I, I called it a love fest. Like it was just like, you know, everything was wonderful and, uh, you know, just everyone was supportive of each other, which they were, mm -hmm. but it was just this, it was just kind of this, like, I don't know how to describe it. It was just kind of this magical moment. 
more so for some people than others. For me, it was it was a very positive experience, but for some people, it was like the absolute best experience of their entire lives. Hmm. And I've had lots of other experiences similar and in different settings so that I wouldn't say that this was the best experience of my life. And I also know that uh, when you tend to spend a lot of time with the same people, that the all the happy stuff eventually kind of wears off too. Yeah. <laughs> so uh-huh. there's, you know, this was kind of uh, the the early stages of it. But the the reflection I had, and I'm trying not to be too cynical about this, but I feel like it ties in, which is if that same, and this had no religious backing whatsoever. I think there may have been, just in talking to a couple people in the class, I think there may have been some other Christians in the class but I think some people, other people were, from what I could tell, decidedly not. So it was <laughs> not a Christian setting. It was not a Christian. It had nothing to do with God. And yet, if you had taken that same vibe and put it, say, in a weekend retreat at a church or a church camp or something, the takeaway would have been, you know, God is in this place. God's mm-hmm. spirit has descended on this gathering and, you know, blessed it and, and God mm-hmm. is present. And that's why we feel so much love and affection and support for each other. Mm-hmm. Which seems like a similar way of, like, in terms of interpreting the experience and what's going on of, hmm, like, wh- how does, not to say that God wouldn't be involved in that setting, but how much and 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 like i like your, your the example of a piece of tape you know are you just putting a big piece of tape over it that just says oh this was all god yeah well the, you, you make a really good point because I, you, you can take a different um you know folks with a, with a very different orientations and with very different expectations you know and so with christians sometimes too it's anything emotional, anything which gives me a good emotional sense is God. Well, I mean, there's so many accounts in the Bible of people being, um, the things that they are doing being highlighted as being highly problematic and being, those people being in some way, um, hope, I, I, I don't, I'm, I'm trying not to use uh, uh, biblical <laughs> language, but being, um, directed away from particular actions, particular ways of being. What's the being example? chastised for those things. Well, just, I mean, you can take most things uh, in the Gospels when it comes to Jesus interacting with the religious elite. You know, I don't think that Jesus had no interest in those people, you know, that they were just purely categorizable as, as some sort of enemy, but that they were folks in power and who held power not only for themselves but over the rest of the community. And there was this constant friction. You know, there's these notions in the New Testament about when, when, when Jesus and the, the religious elite, the, the Pharisees, for example, would come to blows and uh, Jesus would say, you know, you, you, you tithe so specifically, you tithe over and above what you are called to tithe by the Torah. And yet you don't have this sense of what justice is. You don't have the sense of what mercy is. And these things are far more important. Don't you realize this? And so they're, they're really being called to task on their, their inappropriate understanding of what it is to relate rightly with God and with others. You know, so um, that, that's, that's one example. Take, 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 take me back to where you 
well, where I you was, were going with that. I guess it was just the reflection of of the the big piece of tape, you know, that uh. this, we're having this experience. We're having this experience in this context, say a, a church or a Christian context. So, right, God's God's spirit is here, whereas I'm in this this quote secular setting, and it's the same vibe. I mean, it's the same vibe that you would have in this other setting, and yet, would you say that God is in this secular setting? I mean, he I I guess you could say, well, he is. He's everywhere, but that's not really what I mean. Well, yeah, and that, that that whole God is there, God is everywhere is sort of what I was saying about personality. I mean, you can say as a Christian, well, God created this world and created it to be in certain, you know, to, to, for certain things to, to be the case or certain things to be such that when life is going well, you know, you experience certain things. So you experience happiness or whatever, you know, um, you experience contentment, satisfaction. But it's a ter- very different thing to say that, you know, something specifically is God. And so I guess, yeah, the point I was getting at before was emotionalism in Christian contexts tends to be equated with the Holy Spirit. But we have so many examples of, in the Bible, of God contesting the actions, attitudes, and outcomes of people's lives and their ways of living that maybe we should be thinking more as Christians, well, a negative emotion might be more equated with the Holy Spirit or could just as well be. But we typically don't think that way. We want to think happy. We want to think positive, And this means God. And I just don't think that's true. It might be. But it might not be. We'd have to look a lot deeper, I think. So, yeah. And you, you, I don't know about your situation with the, uh, the, the, you know, the training that you, you took and, you know, the positive emotions. I think I would point that more back to where toward instead of looking for God in that, I would look for us in that. And I think this is a common Christian sort of error is that we're always looking for God. And we're looking for God because we think it's the same thing as, as we, we end up talking a lot about God's sovereignty and God can do anything. And we focus on God's characteristics, not taking into account God's character, right? Well, can God do anything? Can God, well, apparently God can but, but God sets certain things about, you know, in place in terms of how God chooses to act, how about how God chooses to unfold the who God is and how God engages with humanity. So I would say there are certain things God just can't do. Impossible. Because God has made certain restrictions on God's self. God has made certain determinations about how God will act. And God's not going to go against those. And I think in the same way, then, or maybe in a parallel sort of situation or, or orientation, if you're in a room and things are going well, I would wonder, well, what's going well on a human level? Why, why, why start poking around and trying to figure out where God is in all that? You know, and if it's a Christian sort of, if it's a worship service, well, what went well from, from a human point of view? Well, somebody shared something and that really kind of connected with a lot of people. And, you know, if you're looking for the God connection in there, um, I would be careful not to confuse that with the fact that, yeah, a lot of people connected with this. Oh, and by the way, somebody had raised this. This person had raised this a few weeks or months ago. We've been praying about this for a while. We thought the outcome was kind of unlikely. And yet we've got this outcome, right? Could God be involved in that? Probably, you know, and it's the whole thing too, I think, of praying for somebody to get healed and they're, 
or to get better, they're ill, whatever, and then they, they improve and we say, oh, well, it's God. And I would wonder, well, well, what if he didn't pray and they got better anyways? Did God do that? Or what if he did pray and, got, and they, they didn't get better? Did God do that? You know, it's just a whole big guesswork. And I think the only way we can really have some sense of it is if we pray about something and something is pretty unlikely and something quite significant happens, then I'd be willing to say, yeah, I think God was involved in that. But if I'm praying for somebody to get better from a cold, I don't think that's God. I think that's their immune system kicking in. You know, unless they don't have an immune system and that's why we're praying, you know. So some of this, I think, it, it becomes superstition. You know, mm. and I think that's my fear because superstition is programmatic. So does that Sup- tie back into the to the original story, the, the situation you were describing with the moon and personality yeah. and... Yeah, I think so. I think so. And I think what they would want to say if I brought this up and said, well, so, I mean, you know, for example, you, you have twins. Do you think the twins have the same personality? And to a parent, you know, for, you know, for outsiders, twins look the same. They may act the same. I know a, a set of twins who are my elder daughter's age. They live two doors down and having had not that much exposure, I can see that their personalities are actually quite different. They can seem very similar when they're in certain situations. You know, they're laughing and joking and having fun and their voices are similar. Their laughs sound similar, right? They have similar mannerisms and yet they are, they have very different interests and one is very extroverted, more extroverted, one is more introverted. Surely the twins were born under the same moon. (laughs) So, you know... So yeah, I think it's I think it's a superstition more than anything, and I think superstitions are there to help us feel secure in a world that's threatening. And so, so where were we wanting to go with the idea of of there only being one right answer, or of of not being able to question things? We're, we're kind of hopping all over the place. I realize. Yeah. Well, I mean. I, I, I think if you take the differ, dif, the difference between a superstition, right, or a superstitious belief, and I would say a properly, if you like, uh, I don't even want to use the word religious belief. I would, I would, I would say credible, a credible belief, you know, because I think it's credible to believe in a scientific perspective on many things, most things, in fact. I think it's credible to believe in a Christian perspective on particularly what the um, Bible is indicating about who and what God is, who and what human beings are and how the two relate. I think that those are really key. And I think there's some particularly important information about human beings in there that we don't necessarily get from all of our scientific perspectives. So I don't think that science can somehow sum up what it is to be human and how best to to be a human being. I think there are some really key pieces of information that are part of, um, you know, the biblical story. But I think, yeah, in terms of this, there only being one right answer, I think a credible belief always has room for critique. You know, it has room for critique and it implies dialogue. And I think the thing that I've seen, particularly with some of these superstitious beliefs, is that dialogue is 
dialogue almost labels you, labels you as an unbeliever, labels you as, it could label you as a bit of an idiot, you know, in certain, in certain areas, depending upon the superstition, it could label you as a bit of a jerk or unenlightened. Yeah. Yeah. Close minded. Yeah. And I, I think this whole superstitious piece, this whole, you know, belief as superstition is really something to look out for. And I think it happens in Christianity all the time. You know, I think some people's Christianity is mostly superstition. If I pray the right way, if I get enough, if I get enough people to pray, you know, or, or the whole thing of, um, you know, I guess God, that, that God's just got something better in mind. And I think the superstition also is very, um, it's very unidimensional, right? Whereas, for example, a Christian belief set is, is very multi-leveled, multi-layered. You know, for example, in the, the apostles or the, the disciples' prayer, what we often call the Lord's Prayer, but I think it's, that's, that's a, an unhelpful term because it was a prayer the disciples asked for and it was for the disciples. So let's call it that. But, I mean, we pray that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, I mean, very clearly that's indicating God's will is not done on earth all the time. It's just not. And that's not because God's lazy or because God just, you know, got busy over here. It's because, you know, Christians believe that there are adversarial forces at work seeking to um, lay hold of all that is for, for themselves. You know, and whether you call that uh, the adversary or the devil or the Hebrew term uh, shatan, um, the shatan, um, doesn't much matter, I don't think. Um, but I th- the, the, the implication is you might be praying for something and it doesn't happen, not because God's not interested or because you didn't get enough people or because you weren't sincere, but because another group or, um, yeah, collection of entities has an impact on the outcome of that matter that you're praying about. And as Christians, we, we often don't like to think about this or we, we often think, so much about God's sovereignty, how big God is, how wonderful God is, how much God loves us, how much it's all about us, that we can't even freaking imagine this. And I think that that is just absolute. That's the, it's, it's worse than pie in the sky, right? Because it's, it's simply not taking seriously some of the, the real um, core tenets of the biblical story. And it's just sort of creating this story about how, essentially how we're central. It really becomes all about us. Because, you know, God, God, God does want to do things for us. God does want to make it all happen for us. And when it doesn't all happen the way we want to, even though we've had lots of people praying for us, then um, we just say to ourselves, well, I guess God's got a better plan in mind. Maybe, maybe God got thwarted. Maybe God lost that one. And I think for most of us, that's just an unthinkable thought. Because we've got these, these, these crazy notions that... Um, well, I think we, we, we're really divorced from some of these notions of the kingdom of God. Like, what does that mean? And if we talk about the kingdom of God as being already here and not yet here, 
I mean, I think that's the best way of construing it, right? That there was something, if you like, semi-ultimate about Jesus dying. There was some semi-ultimacy to that, that Jesus' life and living and dying and raising, that all of these things together created a pivotal moment, but not a culminating moment in history. So, I mean, I, I'm shaking my head here. I'm probably talking too much. You can tell I'm wound up again. <laughs> so, so you know what? I think it, as you were talking, I think what popped in my head was there was some tie-in between this idea of not being able to think a different way or explore a topic in a certain way mm. that tied to the three French guys from last week. And... The, oh. the postmodernism discussion, like, was there? I feel like there was some tie in there, and I can't remember what it was. Well, we talked a bit about um, uh, Jean-François Lyotard and his notion of um, incredulity towards meta narratives, which is not simply not believing them, but being suspicious that they are seeking, essentially, to promote themselves and promote their truth claims on the basis of a rationale that is itself not proven. So it's one thing to say science has got some true things to say. It's another thing to say science is truth. And thereby excluding all these other perspectives. Whether and I would say and no when I would say the science is truth, I mean that would that would be that would be what I pick up in culture. Yeah, but I think culture also has these kind of wacky ideas like uh, the moon, whatever the moon looked like when your kid was born is going to be a, <laughs> a big part of determining their personality, right? Like you can be completely eclectic with some of this stuff. You can you can think that science is true and yet you can think that um, all vaccines cause uh, um, autism? autism spectrum disorders. Right, so you, I you won't can do ask that. you if your kids are vaccinated. My kids are vaccinated, <laughs> as my friend Jason said, my former wine partner, and and he has uh, he's an ep- epidemiologist. He's a professor uh, at McMaster in Ontario, and he said the only reason that this perspective exists is because we have had vaccines for so long that all of the big bad things like smallpox, polio are out of the way. Like the only reason that people can raise these arguments is because vaccines have done their job. If vaccines hadn't done their job, there would be no, no question of um, indicting them because we would be inundated by diseases and by maladies far worse than anything that on a recent level, on a small scale, is, you know, playing out. So, you know, his research is, no, they don't cause that. Uh, there, are, there are some, obviously, some concerns about autism spectrum disorder or disorders, um, but that um, we just don't have, you know, that initial study that was done some years ago is, is pretty bankrupt. Um, anyways. I gave you more than you wanted. I have no idea. <laughs> I haven't researched the topic. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think I hope, hopefully we can, 
I mean, I, I think the best thing for, for, for those who are Christians to do is to really think, well, in what sense am I, do, are my views maybe more, super, more oriented towards a superstitious perspective, a kind of, you know, you give the right inputs, you mix the potion the right way, and you're going to get the right outputs. And then there's a CYA move, right? There's a cover your ass move <laughs> at the end. If you don't get the right outputs and you say something like, you know, God has a better plan or da 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 right? And essentially, we're both saying, if I get it, it's, it's like the heads I win, tails you lose sort of method. And, and that has zero credibility to me, right? Because I think we do live with, and I hope human beings are living with the tension of not being in full control of their lives. We just aren't. Like, life is bigger than me. It's bigger than you. It's bigger than all of us. I'm not writing my own story. That's a crazy notion. Nobody freaking writes their own story. Um, and, and this is getting on into some other other notions about, you know, how human self-understanding is established and the idea of trying to narrate your own story, which I think is plausible. But yeah, if if God is always right, and even when you pray about something and it doesn't work out or something goes horribly wrong, God is still right because God is doing something bigger and better than you can imagine. You just can't see it or understand it. Well, like really, that sounds entirely Buddhist to me. There is no bad or there is no good. There is just sort of neutral, right? And when there's no bad or no good, there's no need for justice. Love counts for far less because it, because everything's the same. Hate, love, it's just a perception. And I think that's a crock. You know, and I'm not saying that, that, that Buddhism is, is as simple as that, but I think there is a lot of that in Buddhism. And I think, you know, in the same way, we, you'll get some Christians and they'll talk about, you know, I'm in a small town and they, there's a lot of Christians here and their notion is what comes around goes around. And that, that's the karmic system. That's karma, right? And grace is very different. Grace is not about what comes around goes around. Because in, if karma was at play instead of grace in a Christian system, we'd all be getting our asses kicked. It's kind of like the vaccines, Nobody be complaining about autism spectrum because we'd all be suffering from smallpox and dying because we all did at one point or a lot of us, right? It was lethal. And so I think when we mix up these, these, these understandings, when it becomes a superstitious belief, when we start having these more Buddhist elements or these more karmic uh, Hindu elements, um, the Christian story is very different than this. And I think this is at best a misunderstanding. At worst, it's, um, I would say it's undercutting our ability to live as full human beings, becoming our best selves in the world. Because I, I just don't think you're going to get that in an other religious perspectives. That's why I don't hold them because I don't believe them and I don't believe they do for me and give to me what Christianity offers and enables and powers me towards. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Untangling Christianity podcast. A summary and resources for this episode are at our website, untanglingchristianity.com. 
If you'd like to join our private Facebook group or reach us by email, send your request, questions, or even a simple hello to feedback at untanglingchristianity.com. Music on this podcast is provided by Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com and is licensed under a Creative Commons license.